Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 91. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a true automotive enthusiast, Keith Martin. Keith, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am set to be dangerous. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. (laughs) Keith Martin has been involved with the collector car hobby for more than 30 years. As a writer, a publisher, television commentator, and a diehard enthusiast, He's the publisher of Sports Car Market Magazine, a publication he founded over 26 years ago, and he's since launched a companion magazine, American Car Collector, four years ago. Martin's column in collecting and reviews of exotic cars have appeared in the New York Times, and Keith's been an MC at Pebble Beach, Meadowbrook, Concours, Concours like the Concorso Italiano, the Kirkland Concours, the La Jolla Concours, Heels and Wheels, and many, many other events. He's hosted numerous television specials, and he's the co-host of a great TV show, What's My Car Worth?, shown on the Velocity Channel. You can usually find him out on the road, on television, or on tours with his children. So, Keith, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Please take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles. Well, Mark, thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, First, I feel very lucky because I've had a chance to spend really a, a very full life around cars. And you know, Martin Swiggs once said to me, you don't find the cars, the cars find you. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like I've had so many rich experiences from the cars and the people that come with the cars. And it's, it's just been a, a glorious life. Let me say how I think my love affair with things with engines started is I was raised by my grandparents, and my grand- we grew up in San Francisco. My grandfather had a little gentleman's farm in Novato, which is about 30 miles uh, north of San Francisco, and he had a tractor, a Ford 9A. And w- from the age of about three on, every morning, Saturdays and Sundays, he would perch me on the front of that tractor, ho- on me holding on to the radiator cap, <laughs> and my knees you know, kind of straddling that hood. And he'd go plow, and he'd go disc for an hour or two. And that went on really for four or five years. Now, I'm, I'm, I can just imagine OSHA yeah. seeing you know, a kid, a three-year-old, perched on the front of a tractor with a disc behind it. Child protective services on their way. <laughs> right. Um, but what, what I'll never forget is the, the vibration, the feeling of that engine, the warmth coming up out of the engine because those uh, tractors don't have any sides to them. You know, the engines are exposed. Sure. And just chatting with my grandpa as he just drove around the field, and that, that sense of warmth and engine. So I, I feel that's where the gasoline started to flow, flow into my veins. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I have one other early memory. I was probably five or six. I was in my grandparents' 1956 Mercury Montclair, which was bumblebee yellow with black. We were going down the Bayshore Freeway, and it was a light rain, and some guy in a TR3, a white one, no top, he had a little tweed hat on and jacket, went flying by us. And he had a big smile on his face. And for whatever reason, it just imprinted on me that that was a guy, and he was in a sports car, and the top was down, and it was raining, and he just didn't care. <laughs> Wonderful. So, so I, yeah, I, I've, I don't have any idea why I have always been a sports car guy. I don't know why it wasn't muscle cars. Uh, I don't, I don't know why it wasn't particularly motorcycles. But I've, I've always liked sports cars. I started reading Road and Track and Car and Driver when I was probably eight or nine years old. The day I turned 16, at 8 o'clock, I was first in line to get my driver's license. And then at 8.30, I bought a bug-eye Sprite (laughs) for $30. It had no first or reverse gear, which became problematic in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Uh, And and it was, you know, 1966 that I uh, turned 16, and the car was a 1960, so it was only six years old. And it was just unbelievably worn out. But it was my car. I had my own sports car. And suddenly, to me, there were two kinds of people in the entire world, people with sports cars and people without sports cars. <laughs> and and those were, that was the time when you'd wave to other sports cars. You, it was a sexy car. Since then, I've, I've had sports cars forever. I've had muscle cars. I've, I've had many different kinds of cars. But it kind of always comes back to, to really four-cylinder sports cars from the 50s and 60s. Let's talk a little bit about your career because I think there's some interesting things about you, Keith, that some people may not know going back before you started Sports Car Market Magazine. But the magazine, I'll tell you, I've been a subscriber for 20 plus years and it is it's like a Bible. You know, It's up there in my mind with the Hemings Motor News because it's what you look forward to getting every month and seeing what the market's doing. But could you tell us a little bit about your background right before the magazine and then how you got into publishing and walk us through that? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to claim there was some gigantic, rigid plan that I've pursued all my life. But, but in fact, it's been a kind of series of happenstance decisions, all based on passion. Uh, when I was in uh, high school... Uh, there was a team called Rubber Chicken Racing that had uh, some Alphas, Corvettes, and Saabs that they raced in SCCA F&G production, and I worked as a mechanic on that team. And then I got accepted to Reed College and uh, in Portland, Oregon, and I couldn't afford to go. So I stayed out a year, and I sold helium balloons and stuffed animals at a souvenir booth at Fisherman's Wharf to make money. I made enough to pay for my tuition to read, and then I realized that I could get a loan to pay for read, and that I had just enough money to buy an Alfa Romeo. (laughs) And the bank would not loan me money to buy an Alfa, but they'd loan me money to go to read. So I bought an Alfa and went to read. (laughs) Now, kids kids listening out there, bad advice today. Don't do that. (laughs) No, it's all bad. My my daughter says, Dad, I want to grow up to be just like you. I said, let's follow this. The like you is okay, but the path. Let's let's talk about the path. There you go. Let's... I went to Reed. I started. I got involved with Modern Dance at Reed, and I uh, 
I just really liked it. Uh, I liked the challenge. I liked the music. I, my teacher introduced me to the one of the founders of American Modern Dance, who was Charles Weidman, and I got involved with the Martha Graham technique. And so after three years at Reed, I decided I really needed to go dance. So I dropped out of school and I moved to New York City. Uh, I uh, worked. I studied at the Martha Graham School and I, I danced for Charles Weidman. They were the two remaining founding members of the American modern dance movement. And I felt very privileged to be able to just talk with them and ask them what it was like. There was no modern dance. They created modern dance. And there I got... Uh, I went to Ju- I got an audition that got accepted to Juilliard, uh, where I studied uh, dance, modern ballet, Spanish. Let me take your pick. And then I left Juilliard and came back to Portland, and I founded the first professional ballet company, Keith Martin Ballet Oregon. We toured the Western U.S. and Japan. Did a lot of original works. Had uh, about a 15-year run doing that, and it was just wonderful. I always had an alpha during that period of time, so I always had my cars. Uh, and then when it, the, there were two companies in town and they needed to merge for, uh, for financial success and you can only have one director and I was just kind of done. I'd, I, I had achieved kind of my fantasies and goals with dance and so I, I left the ballet company and I ran into Ron Tonkin who's a mega dealer up here and I knew Ron, uh, he knew I was an alpha guy and Ron came to me and said that I had cost him so much money in fundraising for the ballet company mm-hmm. that I owed it to him to come to work for him so he could make some of that money back. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he offered me a job at his Ferrari store, where it was uh, Ferrari, Maserati, Alfa Romeo, and Lotus. Uh, and I worked there for a couple of years. So, so let me stop for one second. I've always been a car guy. I've also always loved the arts and performing and dance. I was director of dance for the Portland Opera. And so I had a couple of passions that I was able to pursue, but I was a car guy first who took a kind of 15-year side trip into another passion, which was the arts, and then uh, came back to cars. Mm. I I have always felt that uh, pursuing your passion is the right thing to do no matter what. And, And I feel like my time in the arts has made me a more thoughtful and inquisitive car guy because I look at cars a little bit differently I'm, I think about you know, why they were created, how a car represents the, the time that it was built, the climate of opinion, what people thought about motoring. So, so I've, I've always been a car guy. I have an overlay of the, of the arts, which are quite wonderful. And then I came back to cars. So if I pick it up, Ron Tonk, and I was there for a couple of years, was very, had a very good time learning about cars. Ron was a great mentor and I learned I because I was at the Ferrari store uh, I got to work at any of his other stores that I wanted to so I worked shifts at the Chev store the Toyota store the Honda store and got a, a real sense of what the true commercial side of the new car automotive industry is how hard those guys work those salespeople to make a $50 mini on some cars how brutal it is the the competition for cars and how what a good salesman you have to be to get people to make a decision. And that's why they say if I can get it for you at this number, will you buy it today? Because cars are you know often bought without a lot they're bought on the uh, on the passion of the moment. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot about that. 
And at that time, that was 88, 89, and the uh, car market was very hot. The Europeans and Japanese were buying a lot of cars, uh, sports cars. And the reason for that is when sports cars were first made in the 50s and 60s, Europe was extremely poor. And almost because of World War II, most of their cars, sports cars, were sold in America because they were rich and they were poor. When the economy improved and these people started reaching their 40s and 50s in Europe, they started buying back all these cars because they didn't have any there. So I started selling 20 to 30 cars a month back to Europe, and I would find them in the Northwest and put them in containers and ship them. And it was fun. I made good money. It was um, you know, adventuresome. You'd fly around the country with a with a leather bag with money in it, close your deals, ship the cars. <laughs> and at that time, there were market letters. There was the Ferrari market letter. There was a Maserati market letter. There was a Porsche market letter. And there was no alpha market letter. And I, I thought, why don't I do an alpha market letter? And I thought, if, if somebody else does one and they don't do a good one, I'll be really irritated with myself for not stepping in. So I put an ad in Hemmings Motor News that said, subscribe to the alpha market letter, lots of cars for sale, 32 bucks a year or something like that. And a couple months later, I had about 200 orders, and I thought, I really have to do this now. I have to do it. Yeah, oops. So, yeah, so I created the alpha market letter, printed it on blue paper because the Ferrari market letter was printed on yellow paper, and I thought that was kind of distinctive. So we had the alpha market letter. And over the next couple of years, it grew to five or 600 subscribers. So I thought, well, I'll start the English market letter too because there's a lot more English cars than there are alphas. Mm -hmm. So I founded that, and the two of them together kind of bumped along at 1,000, 1,200 or so. I'm jumping ahead now. Mark, to, to talk about kind of one of the challenges. Shall I just segue into that as we talk about the development here? Let me uh, first start with asking you about a success quote, because we'll get to that part in the story, if that's okay with you. As we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests if they have a success quote or a mantra that has some meaning to them in their life. And, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning. You've already got us moving down the road. But Keith, take the wheel. Well, I once studied with a man named Boris Godolsky, who had a touring opera company, Boris Godolsky's Grand Touring Opera. And he would always look up at you and say, uh, are you having troubles today? And I might say yes. And he had a big Russian accent. He'd say, well, always remember rule number six. And I'd say, yes, Mr. Godolsky. And I'd say, what exactly was rule number six again? And he said, rule number six, never take yourself too seriously. <laughs> And I think about that a lot. Mm -hmm. that, uh, we are in a, an industry, the collector car world, which is a really uh, happy face industry. It's people who are successful enough to indulge themselves in these cars, whether it's a $5,000 MGB or a $5 million Ferrari. And each day, no matter how crazy or tense or weird things are, I need to remind myself that it's it's just cars that people love. So let's step back and not not get too freaked out. Let's just say these are great cars. We're having a great day. Where do we go from here? Mm, that's wonderful. Oh, I love that quote. And we'll make sure we put that up on your show notes page, rule number six. That's great. Rule number six. We well, already shared with us some times that you were, were pretty instrumental in 
uh, instigating your passion for cars. Let's do this. Take us down some of the roads you've driven and really get under the hood and maybe get our hands a little dirty. Could you share with our listeners a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career that really pushed you to the limits? But more importantly, share with us how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. Well, Mark, the the issue that I faced was I had the alpha market letter and the English market letter. I was doing the photography, the typesetting, the writing. Uh, I bought a small printing press, and I was printing the thing myself. I was really like a farmer who did everything from plant the seeds to haul the product to market. Mm-hmm. And it was just killing me. It was so such hard work, and there was not a lot of revenue. And I thought, I'm just going to get rid of these magazines. This is stupid. And so I, I offered the Alfa Romeo market letter, to a couple of publishers for $1,500, and they laughed and said it you know, wasn't worth anything. And I, I, I remember just sitting downstairs in the, my basement office, like 11 or 12 o'clock, and I think, I just can't make this. I just can't do it anymore. I thought, screw it. I'm going to put the English market letter with the alpha market letter, and I'm going to add German cars, and I'm going to call it sports car market letter. And that's mm-hmm. all there is to it. I'm just going to add them all together. And if I fail, okay, I fail. Mm-hmm. And I went upstairs. I was My wife uh, then was uh, Cindy Banzer, who is, by the way, still very active in the uh, collector car world and just was elected president of the Alfa Romeo Owners of America. Oh, wow. Uh, which is a really big deal. And I just saw her last weekend on an Alfa tour. But I, I just went up and I said, Cindy, I'm... I'm just folding them together. I'm calling it a sports car market. I just can't, I can't do this anymore, the mm-hmm. way it is. Uh, within uh, 30, 40 days, I had some advertisers who were interested because I covered all collector cars then uh, who had never been interested when it was just English car or just Alphas. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not, I, mean, I think my ad rates then were $250 a page or something, so it wasn't you know, like millions of dollars, but there was immediate acceptance. Now, right. There were three or four alpha guys who said they would pay me extra to tear all the German car ads out of the magazine each month <laughs> before I sent it to them. But, but by and large, the people found there, there was more interest from a larger audience because you could flip through and let's see, I think I'll look at the Porsches first and then I'll look at the Alphas and then I'll look at the Ferraris and then I'll look at the MGs. The people who like sports cars tend to to have a certain sports car that they love and then other sports cars that they like as well. Oh, yeah. yeah so it, it became successful. It, it be, may start making a little money, and it grew out. But really, that, that night, I'll just never forget just saying, this is too much. I'm, I'm just going to pack it in because it's not worth it anymore. Well, first and foremost, thank you for sharing that very personal moment with us. But what I love about what you said was, it's a classic entrepreneurial story of when you get to the end, you think, you know what, this just isn't working. And you did a pivot, as they call it today, and you reinvented yourself into something the same but different and new and went down another path. And that was the beginning of Sports Car Market Magazine some 26 years ago. So I love that story. And that's why I asked the question of business people about that moment that was such a huge challenge and how you overcame it. What a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Let's shift gears here and go to the whole other end of the spectrum and and share a time when you had a real aha moment in your business. And tell us about that time when you realized, you know what, I think this is really going to make it. 
and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. You know, Mark, there's there's really been no single thing that that transformed us. It's been a series of small steps. The the, the one advantage I think we have is that I've um, in some ways, it's an advantage. I've not had a formal background in publishing or in journalism. Well, obviously, I studied, studied uh, English and writing at Reed. So we were always tiny and grew as we could afford to. I, I've had other friends who have secured uh, financing and capital and launched on a big scale. And when you launch on a big scale, if you don't have a, a hit right away, you're in big trouble. Right. So, so for us, it's always let's add some pages of color. Let's go to Perfect Bound. Let's add a website. Let's go on the newsstand. Six months ago, we finally went on the newsstands in England and uh, Germany, Italy, and Australia. Oh, congratulations. But, but it, well, thank you. But everything has come incrementally as it, it could be afforded because there's, there's no deep pocket backer there's nobody to meet payroll if I can't meet it. It's it's all been just okay. Does this make sense? Let's take this risk. Shall we? Barnes and Noble wants ten thousand dollars to do an end cap display for a month for one of our magazines. Okay, I think this should pencil out. Let's throw ten grand at that. I mean, it's it's that kind of thing where you you make each small decision, but you never bet the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my guests last week said the same thing: slow and steady wins the race. And many times in business, that's the case. That's wonderful. Let's have a little fun here. And I can't wait for you to tell me about this this next uh, car of yours. What was your first, not your first car, but your first really special car? Something that really meant a lot to you. And maybe you could share a memory that you had with that vehicle. I'd say my first three cars are the really formative for me. First was my Bug Eye Sprite. And I remember... Uh, driving from San Francisco to Santa Barbara in that car, which is, I want to say, 300 miles or so. Mm-hmm. And that's a really long way in a clapped-out bug-eye sprite. <laughs> With no first and, gear and, or reverse. <laughs> well, you don't need first reverse, luckily, on the freeway, right? And I, yeah. and I was being stopped every you know 100 miles by the Highway Patrol because I had peace symbols painted all over my car. And, <laughs> um, but I w- I'll never forget being in my car, opening the little flap that's on the side of the center console to let hot air in, and I turned the hot water on through the faucet under the hood, and thinking, this is my car. I'm on a road trip. You know, this is my, and I'm going to see my girlfriend in Santa Barbara. How cool is this? So so I have this memory. Then I bought a 58 MGA out of a junkyard, and it was, the the bug eye was bad. The MG was profoundly bad. (laughs) And I, I rebuilt the motor, and didn't do a very good job. And this was in 68, and a friend of mine and I, we both had very long hair, said we were going to drive the MG to the Chicago National Convention because we wanted to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. So we set off, and we took a bunch of uh, you know, love beads and peace symbols so that if we met girls along the way, we could impress them with how <laughs> hippie-like we were being from San Francisco and driving our sports car. We were some, somewhere outside Twin Falls, Idaho, when the rod went through the side of the block. Ooh. And I remember the, hearing this big crash and then the engine stopping and, and thinking, that's weird, and coasting to the side of the road and getting out, opening the hood and seeing a hole in the side of the block with a connecting rod sticking out through uh. it. And I, I just thought, you know, I'm 17, I thought, wow, 
wow, there's a hole in the side of my engine. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I'm looking at the duct tape and STP and things I've got, and I'm thinking, I, I don't think this is going to work. No, I ventilated my engine. <laughs> I'm stuck. And my friend said, well, yeah, you are stuck. Let's do this. Let's smoke some marijuana and read Lord of the Rings while we wait for a tow truck. <laughs> oh, the 60s. <laughs> exactly, you know, and of course you had no cell phones or anything. So we got we got a, re- a replacement used engine from somewhere that they slapped in, and we got somewhere the generator went out in some place, and the water went out, the water pump went out someplace else. We never we never got past Colorado, and and finally got home. But I'll I'll never forget like this. We were when we started out, we were so determined. We were going to Chicago in our MG, and I was seventeen. Yeah. You know? So so I got my second, car, and then my third car. Uh, was my first Alfa Romeo. I was 18, and a friend of mine who had an Alfa uh, came over to me one time and looked at my MG, and, and he said, when are you going to get a real car? Mm. <laughs> I, said, I said, what do you mean a real car? He said, look at my Alfa, wind-up windows, double overhead cam, alloy block, you know, big brakes. I drove his car, and I thought, damn, this is a really nice car. So not long after that, I had a 63 Julia Spider Normale. I bought it for $900. It it was this was 1968 probably so the car was only five years old. It already had a rebuilt engine, rebuilt by a Rambler dealer in Santa Monica, I think. <laughs> it did a terrible job, uh, but it was my Alpha. Yeah, and and I ended up picking that Alpha to read, and um, I had I've had a lot of other Alphas since. But those three cars, kind of the the Bug Eye, the MGA, and the 63 Alpha, were kind of my launching point and there was never any question in my mind that I wasn't going to have some kind of sports car and so those are the cars that got me going awesome what fun how about seller's remorse is there a vehicle you've had in your past that you really wish you could have that thing back mark that's a really good question not necessarily from a driving perspective but financially I have owned some cars like I owned a uh, Lancia Flaminia Zagato double bubble mm-hmm. that I uh, that I bought for I don't know 22 and sold for 24. I had a Ferrari 330 America that I bought for 28 and sold for 32. Those are cars that that have had tremendous increases in value. Mm-hmm. So I I'm sorry about that. Although you know I, this was probably 15 20 years ago. So if I kept them. I wouldn't have kept them. In other words, I, they, for whatever reason, they didn't connect with me, and so it was easy to sell them. Sure. So I, I, don't, I don't have any... There were no cars I've had where the driving experience was so fabulous that I'm just sad that they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> How about a current project? Is there something you're working on right now, either a car or in your business, that really has you excited and fired up? Well, let me, let me answer that question two ways. With cars, I made the decision about three or four years ago that I was going to stop trying to own one of every car ever built <laughs> and settle back to Alphas. Mm-hmm. Because I've always had Alphas. It's, it's, they're the cars I love. I know how to have them taken care of. And so I've got the five Alphas that fit within my budget and that that have always been my fantasy cars. And those are... a. 58 Giulietta Sprint Veloce. It's a car with eyebrows. They built 149 of them. I've got a 65 Giulia Spider Veloce that I have had for 24 years. Uh, I 
uh, and then the 367, the Alfa Romeo trifecta from their, their most wonderful year. I've got a 67 Duetto, a 67 GTV, and a 67 Julia Super. Mm. Yeah, so what I, I like going into the garage. I see my five Alphas, although I've actually never had all five together at one time. <laughs> one's always somewhere. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm getting all five of those into a really good place. I like my cars to be what I call on the button. So I have all my cars here at our office. There's I have parking downstairs for them. And I like to be able to go downtown, downstairs at night or for lunch, and say, I think I'll take that one. Mm-hmm. And I want everything to work. Yeah. Headlights, blinkers, brake lights, heater fan, as if they were, say, a two- or three-year-old car. Yeah. So I'm not far away from all five of my Alphas being in that really wonderful daily driver condition. Now, will I five years from now or three years from now still want to have uh, five alphas? I have no idea. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, I may decide that just having one coupe and one convertible is enough. Yeah. yeah. But, but for the moment, this has been a fantasy for me, and I'm achieving the fantasy, and I'm uh, kind of just dialing these cars in. So that's that's what's got me excited right now is I'm, I'm this is my Alfa Romeo fantasy, and I'm about to make it come true. (laughs) Wonderful. I love that. Now, here's a fun question. It's always a bit revealing, I think. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be, and why? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, It can be very revealing sometimes. Yeah, you know, I I have to go back to my own strengths, which is to is Alphas again. And if I were an Alpha, I recently, about seven months ago, I picked up a 67 Duetto. And I, I had a 67 Duetto my junior year in college. And I put about 50,000 miles on it. And I think that is probably the most perfect Alpha ever built in terms of visual appeal, competency in modern traffic, good heater, nice top. So I'd, I'd, um, I'd have to be a Duetto. A Duetto. Nice choice. I like that. All right, Keith, we're up to what I call the last lap. So we're coming around corner four, heading down the straightaway for one more lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you buckled up and ready? I am here. Okay. I'm ready to go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Probably to to think before you act. <laughs> In other words, when you when you get a car... Don't start fixing it right off the bat. Stop, live with, for, live with it for a while, find out what it is first before you just start throwing money at it. Great advice. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I try to keep a log. Every car that I have, every time I drive it, I write down everything that needs to be fixed because it might be a couple of months between driving cars and I'll forget. So if I look have that log... Then I take the car to a shop as fast as I can, and I have the list, you know, the outside, the passenger side mirror rattles, the heater fan's not working, whatever it is. And then each time I get back in the car, the car is incrementally better. But you've got to keep a list. Hmm, Great idea. Is there a resource that you're really fond of that you could share with our listeners? Maybe it's a website that you like or a blog that you get in the mail, in your inbox, or an app you use on your phone. I think that the the resources I like are the the friends that I've developed over the years who are fluent in all of these cars. So that's that's a personal thing. I know I can go to Matt Jones if I at Re Originals if I have a question about did was an was the color of this 
carpet in 63, was it gray or black? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the automotive websites I go to tend to be um, Bring a Trailer and eBay. Yeah, oh, wonderful. Because I'm always on the hunt. And, and 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 it's it's always fun to have stuff just pop up in front of you. I bought cars from uh, Randy's Bring a Trailer site just f for no reason. I mean, it's just it's like you know, through no reason at all. Oh, I've never had one of those, and let's get one. Yeah, Randy is great, and he's been a guest on Cars. Yeah, and what a great little uh, uh, e uh, business that uh -huh. he's created. Really, it's just such a tease when it shows up in your inbox, and you go, oh, jeez. I hadn't That's planned right. on buying that today. Dang it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Is there a book that you've recently read or a book that you'd like to share with our listeners that you really enjoyed? I just finished reading, I, th I think it's Beast. Uh, Beast is the story of the building of the Ilmore uh, Mer Mercedes engine that was the cheater engine that won at Indy, a one-year only, a kind of a loophole for pushrod stock block engines. Oh, wonderful. And And the book is extraordinarily well written if it's uh it's one of those books where there are a lot of very technical things but they're explained in a way that make them comprehensible even if you're not a car person oh great so it's 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 a book that's exciting it was a skunk works operation it had to be kept secret it was so successful that of course it was immediately outlawed <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a really great read oh wonderful well i'll remind our listeners that you can go to carsyeah.com slash Keith Martin, and you'll find his show notes page with links to all of these resources that he shared with us, including that book. Do you have any hobbies outside of your passion for cars that you're really fond of? Well, Mark, that's a good question. I have a 23-year-old know, daughter, and I have a 7-year-old son, and I love doing things with them in and out of the car world. Last weekend, I just taught my 7-year-old how to ride a motorcycle. Mm, he has a yeah. XR50. The same... <laughs> size motorcycle I got my daughter uh, 16 years ago. So I love doing things where they're brought into my world. Mm -hmm. I'm very active uh, still in the arts world. Uh, I'm involved with the ballet company here. I go to uh, the opera, some theater. Um, so I uh, really it's the performing arts and cars. And the family, which is ever so important. Family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Keith, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy for some people. I kind of think it might be for you, but we'll see. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, not those five cars that you've got in your fantasy garage right now, and you can't sell this car to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money's no object, that means I'm going to buy you whatever you want today. What would that vehicle be and why? Well, it's a pretty easy question. <laughs> My 65 Julia Spider Veloce I've had, like I said, for 24 years, I've got a picture of my daughter Alex in the car at one-year-old. I have a picture of my son Bradley in the car at one-year-old. The car has been such a part of our family that it's, it's impossible for me to imagine ever selling that car. And my daughter uh, loves driving it, and so it will be her car someday. Oh, well, you're a very fortunate guy that you have your dream car already. Fantastic. And memories, that's what it's all about, especially when it involves family. Keith, you've taken us on a wonderful ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that alpha? I'd, Mark, I'd, I'd like to say that 
I believe that old cars are just kind of magnets that attract very special people together. And I think when you get into an old car community, you step back and you say, these are really nice people, and we're driving cars from the golden era of machinery. And we can drive these cars anywhere. We don't need special permits to put them on the road or anything. So I think that we should just enjoy the fact that we're able to be around really nice people who have a shared common interest, which is really great old cars. Fantastic. I'll let our listeners know again that you can find everything we've talked about here on carsyad.com slash Keith Martin. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and sports car market and what your car is worth? I think that you just go to our website, sportscarmarket.com, or you can find us on Facebook. So visit us that way. And I invite anybody who has particular questions, uh, just shoot me an email. It's keith.martin at sportscarmarket.com. Pretty Uh, straightforward. Fantastic. Well, Keith, again, thank you for taking some time out of your very busy schedule and being so generous with your expertise and and sharing your life's journey and your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!